Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Brendan, get ready for the latest veterinary news. Brendan, can you hear me? I think you've dropped off again, Mark. Oh no, I'm going to have to pause here. Ah, there you go, I can hear you now. That's better, so yeah, try again. You can't hear me, obviously. This is scary. I didn't realise how viral it had gone. And I don't know what's happened to Dr. Brendan. I don't know. No, nothing there. I literally don't know what to do now. Mark's just dropped off there, so while he while he waits to get back in, I will continue on with the story. Ah, there you go. I can hear you now. That's better. So, yeah, try again. It's hilarious. Um, and I'll just cut it out there, Mark. This is just going to be a disaster. I don't know whether you can hear me now, Brendan. I doubt it. The power of the millennial, hey? That's it. Um, I think you've dropped off again, Mark. That was quite funny. Brendan, can you hear me? Mark, I've, um, I've, I think I've lost your your voice there a little bit. Just get a bit closer to the microphone and try again and we'll see. I don't know what's happened to Dr. Brendan. I don't know. Brendan, can you hear me? No, nothing there. I literally don't know what to do now. Well, welcome, welcome. No, we're still here, Mark and Brendan. This is the Vet Gurus, and that was our little blooper reel from Mark way back in 2018. We had that little blooper reel, and there's episode 169, our Christmas and New Year's special 2020. How are you, Mark? I'm great, Brendan. Merry Christmas to you, and Merry Christmas to everyone listening to us. It's a fantastic time of year, isn't it? Our wonderful listeners and subscribers, Mark G. We wouldn't, well, actually, we would do it without them, but we can't do it with it properly without them because we enjoy every little bit of feedback we get from them, vetgurus at gmail.com. And, gee, we've had some good times this year, even though it's been a bad year, supposedly, people say. 2020, and it certainly has been a, a challenge in the year, hasn't it, Mark? And we'll talk a little bit about that with our with our little wrap-up with our Christmas special here. And um, it's just good to have people to chat to and to to get emails from colleagues and, and veterinary nurses, technicians about what they're up to and how they're coping with everything and, and some of the fun stories and well, bittersweet stories and tragic stories but also uplifting stories, Mark, about um, our industry and uh, I think – a lot of people, I don't know about up in your way, Mark, and I'm sure it's the same in a lot of regions of the world, a lot of veterinary clinics are closing down for a few days where they may not have previously over the Christmas New Year break, um, just to reset and have a little bit of a a little bit of a chill and um, catch up with family and friends and to, to recharge themselves. And we're certainly doing that and we're closing for around about a week or so, Mark, and we're not back on board the clinic closed today. Um, we're back on board on the 4th, Monday the 4th, Mark, and I know you're closed, not quite that length of time, but you're closed for a few days as well. It's a good thing. I think the the sense of, um, um, you know, work-life balance and making sure that uh, we're not letting our professional lives overrun everything, that's been a growing thing and I think it's, yeah, this Christmas will be a time we um, that we focus on uh, those things. I like the idea that our podcast, you know, 
one of the things I love about Christmas is uh, the connection with family. Um, well, we should would happen all year, but the connection with our broader family, our professional family, our um, sponsors, and our um, and our colleagues. Like you said before, we love that uh, sense of connection. It was never something that we expected to happen, was it, Brennan? We thought we would just be blithering into the abyss. Um, no one at the other end of the line, um, and it's been a just one of the most pleasant surprises to think that that people would listen to us. It's a joy, Mark. It's a joy, and as we mentioned several times, or or too many times, it's a bit of a de stress for us as well as it? it's a catch up once a week and have a bit of a chat. But it's just fantastic being able to realise that we have people who actually enjoy listening to us and, and getting a bit of feedback from them. And, yes, you did mention our sponsors and we need to give a special shout-out to them before we get stuck into into some news stories and some other chit-chat. And that's um, our three main sponsors of the podcast, which are Chemical Essentials and um, the Australian distributor of F10 disinfection products and Thank you to Andrew and his team. Um, Jen from Oxbow Australia, Specialised Animal Nutrition and all their wonderful products that we certainly use every day in our practice and their support. And also Doug from Microchips Australia um, with all his little gadgets and his... um, um, you know, his his James Bond type gadgets that he has there. I always worry about um, Doug, you know, what his, what his true, true profession is, Mark. Um, I don't know whether you've thought about that, but, um, you know, he seems to be very savvy with the, the techno listening devices, etc. And, um, yeah, we'll have to um, we'll have to play him with a bit of drink next time we see him and um, find out the real story that he what his his true occupation is apart from Microchips Australia. I think there's and a good chance. Yeah, go on. I'm not going to our that. Patreon supporters. So we have some long term Patreon supporters, including probably the original Patreon supporter who I think is still with us. I'll have to jump onto the Patreon site, and that's Sandy um, from Australia. And we thank him very much for his continued support. We have several other Patreon supporters. And Patreon's good in that you can jump onto Patreon and the link is at vetgurus.com and click on, well, click on Let's Support Vet Gurus. And you can even make it a minimum donation of $1 Australian, which is in some areas of the world, that's not much in your particular currency. So, um it's throw us a bone, give us a, a dollar or two to help support and pay for the costs of the of the recording software and also the hosting of our of our little podcast. That would be fantastic. Um, but thank you to our patron supporters as well. And you're go you're going to say about our sponsors, Mark, our main sponsors. No, no, I wasn't gonna say anything, no. <laughs> You're gonna say nothing. 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 So I think I'm going to jump into, speaking of the festive season, Mark, my first, and hopefully you have with our typical um, professionalism, um, hopefully you have the list of the news stories here. And my first one is from the British Veterinary Association urging pet owners to be mindful of festive hazards around Christmas time. And I'm sure you've had a a few interesting and, and bizarre stories about animals of done things they shouldn't have during this um, season, Mark. And they did a survey of the veterinary profession from their um, little 
little um, um, emails that they send out to the to the Royal College um, subscribers. Um, and the survey showed that 82% of UK veterinary professionals working with companion animals saw at least one case of toxic ingestion across Christmas last year. And the most common cases involved a dog ingesting something dangerous with obvious the obvious one there being chocolate ranking at the top there and with 94% stating that they've seen a case of chocolate ingestion in dogs and cats non-edible items mark and gee I, I don't know about you but I've seen a few cats where I've been pulling bits of tinsel and and all sorts of things that they've chewed off the Christmas tree out their backside um and I even had one cat once that it, I don't know how it did it. It, it, it had a, a, one of those little um, sort of um, those little balls, that sh- those baubles that shatter. Um, they're not quite glass. I don't know what they're made of. And it, it somehow chomped on the whole thing. And it had one of those almost like a, a pin, a very long pin um, as part of the structure of it. And the owner had seen something poking out the backside of it and it had managed to pass all the way through to its backside. Um, and I grabbed this pin and it was literally, oh, I'm just trying to visualise it in front of myself if for all the listeners who can see. it's It was about literally about eight centimetres long. I do not know how it got through. I, I've, I, to this day, I just do not how it managed to get through to the backside. Um, and I pulled on that and then there was a bit of bit of um, thread that came with it and then bits of bits of the, the bauble that had broken um, and it, it, it didn't end up needing anything else from that apart from a, um, a good talking to. Um, um, and I'm sure you've seen, have you seen the cats where, or dogs where you get the concertine in of the um, small intestine with the, with the, um, with the threads? Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And this is the time of year you've got the x-ray all primed to pick up the placated intestine that uh, folds along the, the um, you know, trying to pass the, the uh, linear foreign body. So, yeah, we all need to keep the alert for those things. You've always got to look out for application, don't you, Mark? And it's not just when you're doing your quilting at home. Um, you need to be very careful. Um, yeah, so this time of the year, it's certainly the thing to, to look out for all of those. Um, and to finish off that article, yes, a, a toxic ingestion, especially in cats, including seasonal plants like holly and mistletoe um, and other sorts of poisoning Um, and interestingly enough they mentioned that more than half the veterinary professionals surveyed also treated cats for anti-freeze poison in markham i don't know whether i've seen a cat for anti-freeze poisoning have you i have definitely have not Um, i don't think we use a lot of that stuff well, we, that's because it's not cold enough here in Australia. We've we got the perfect climate, Mark. I think that's what it is, yes. Uh, so that's my first news story, Mark. Um, be careful um, and warn the client. Well, it's a bit late now because this is going out on Christmas Day, which is tomorrow. We're caught recording here on Christmas Eve. Um, but it's something to be wary of. Um, and perhaps those of you who are open, Unfortunately, um, on Christmas Day, or you do an after-hour service. It's, um, I'm sure you have some interesting stories. Do you have any other interesting cases that you can recall around Christmas time of this type of thing, Matt? Um, I can't think. The one thing that uh, it's probably not so uh, Christmassy, but um, we've had a few cases lately of uh, poisonous mushrooms. Brendan, um, you guys have had a bit of wet weather lately, haven't you? 
Yes, we have. And, well, where, where's the poison in your house, Mark? Uh, <laughs> a we, bit, little bit. Well, you know how we, uh, we – there was an episode where we looked at the, the uh, you know, cultivation of mushrooms, um, and, and I am a little bit of a fungophile, um, and um, – so we did identify um, uh, one of the agarics, the the um, yellow staining agaric uh, is a pretty kind. It looks a lot like the edible um, mushroom, and um, and so people will often pick it. Dogs love it, uh, and so they'll see it in a in the lawn or um, on a walk, and they'll have a quick munch. Um, and it is exquisitely uncomfortable to the stomach and first part of the small intestine and uh, makes uh, whoever does ingest it, person or dog, acutely uh, nauseous and vomit profusely. Uh, They feel deadly sick for a day or so, but um, they recover without serious consequence. But it's horrible to see, Brennan. We've had a couple of cases lately because of the wet, warm weather causing the funguses to sprout. So not just um, Christmas things, but also things associated with the warm summer could be a bit of a thing to watch out for. And and I I suspect there would be... Similar sort of processes with those in the northern hemisphere associated with the cold weather at this time of the year as well, Mark. So um, I think one thing I've never really seen or had to treat in animals is is frostbite, Mark. Have you ever seen any cases of frostbite? We have seen a couple of cases of frostbite, mainly from, um, you know, animals that have uh, had a trip up uh, the Blue Mountains or towards um, uh, the Australian, we call them rather... Uh, self-importantly, the Australian Alps, they're barely a, Hills. Barely a <laughs> bunch of short rises on the eastern seaboard. Bumps, yes. <laughs> but um, but they, we do get a little spattering of snow in certain spots, which, you know, being humans, we uh, flock to to slide down on, uh, on boards or skis. Um, and, yeah, we have had a couple of people return after they've taken their dog down to the snow and, um, and they've had some quite bad frostbite. Uh, well, I haven't got a segue for this, but I just remembered <laughs> I need to do an announcement. Um, Rita, um, on behalf of the Association of Exotic Mammal Veterinarians, um, the AEMV, sent an email to me and um yeah this is for students um so veterinary veterinary students can register for free at the aemv website which is aemv.org and we'll have a link to it in our show notes at vetgurus.com and they get exclusive access to the facebook closed group for members where it's fantastic, and it's a bit like our unusual pet one um, here for our Australian members of the U, um, UPAV. And people post case report and discussions and say, look, hey, I've got a rabbit that has this particular problem. What do you think it is? And usually you get a fantastic reply very, very quickly. So um, students will have access to that for free. And for an additional $20, I think it's $20 US, They'll also have access to the online edition of the Journal of Exotic Pet Medicine, which is one of the 
premier journals in exotics and um, that's fantastic value mark so any student of veterinary medicine in any veterinary school in the world can join for free and pay the extra twenty dollars and get the the journal as well so that's fantastic so yeah thanks Rita for sending that on and um, yeah every every vet student should be joining that regardless of whether they want to become an exotic vet or not because they will be seeing unusual pets in practice, won't they, Mark? Um, it's two things, Brendan, it, and it's immensely generous offer. Like, it's such a huge resource. Um, and it is, uh, you know, it, it's a very useful thing whether you have a, a, a passionate desire to pursue this for the whole career or just you're going to be in small animal practice and you don't want to be too much of a doofus when that first guinea pig or rabbit shows up. Um, uh, yeah, it's an outstanding offer. And I can I agree with you. I can't see one reason that any veterinary student anywhere in the world isn't uh, taking advantage of this outstanding offer. Excellent. So do it. Do it now. Um, Mark, research. You've got a bit about research as your first news story. Oh, Brendan, I don't know what to make of this story. I've got a it's, – it's, um, it's raised a couple of questions for me, but I'll tell you what's going on. Um, the, the This story tells us uh, about a research team who has found that the effects of odour have influenced the helpfulness of rats. So – so, um, rats are, as we know, so very sociable animals. They love the company of other rats, and they actually regularly help each other out with tasks. They're cooperative, Brendan. Anyway, um, researchers uh, got together and they um, provided a circumstance where a rat would be able to pull a platform via a pulley containing a, the, the platform would contain a reward, they would move it towards another rat's cage. They, that would result in the, you know, the, the non, um, the rat in the other cage would uh, get some food off the platform. It would get the reward. And this wouldn't have any immediate benefit uh, for the rat doing the yanking on the pulley to move the tray, um, which, well, that's pretty interesting of itself. But not all rats do this. Some do and some don't. Some rats are amenable to helping out other rats for no when there's no obvious immediate benefit to them. Other rats would just ignore it. So these researchers collected... Um, this, this is one of my questions. I do not know how they've collected the smell of the rat, but they did collect. Kate's off to the, yeah. to the um, bottle shop by the sound of it. We've got to be prepared for Christmas, Brendan. Um, <laughs> they, uh, the researchers collected the smell of the rat, um, and when they provided that smell to a rat in a different room, um, and that rat... Um, they would put, provide smell to the uh, rat in another to another rat in a different room, so it didn't have experience. They would give them a smell, and some of the smells were associated with uh, rats that didn't help, and rat and other smells were associated with uh, rats that did help. Um, the the result was that um, the scent was highly correlated with stimulating um, uh, helpful behaviour in the uh, novice rat. So if the rat got a dose of smell from a rat that was helping, it was much more likely to help. Um, so, so I don't. 
there's just so many questions, Brendan. Um, it it's um, so they talk about the smell of cooperation. Um, the smell is not something that's connected to an individual rat, and only is something that occurs depending on the actual activity of helping. Um, it isn't. There's not a special, you know, uh, rat cologne for nice rats, for helpful rats. Um, and the same individual can release either a scent that is helpful or not, depending, you know, on the time, their mood and a bunch of other things. So um, the fact that there is a particular, you know, spectrum of uh, molecules which creates an odour which influences behaviour so that they cooperate, crikey, it's an interesting thing. But, um, geez, it's one, once again, I just have this vision of the pitch room where the PhD students going, this is what I'm going to study. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, just, I, I, and I think they mentioned further up, well, the very last sentence in the summary there that whether there is such a smell of cooperation in humans, however, would be an interesting question for further studies there. Um, and I've, I've just got to say it, Mark, I, I have to say it, I smell a rat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, and uh, it's yes. I'd like to see the the actual data for that You'd one. Like to yes, see data. yes, yes. That's right. Um, interesting. I was going to say story. Interesting. <laughs> nevertheless, Mark, we're not judging the quality of that research. We're not at all because we don't know what it is, the quality of it. Well, my, my next news story, my last news story, Mark, is is another bit of a fluff story, but it's a bit of a summary of um, You're going to talk about what. Hilda. You're going to talk about Hilda. I am going to talk about Hilda, which is the Household Income and Labor Dynamics in Australia survey. Um, so they want to shorten that to Hilda to make it sound so you're not going to fall asleep as you um, read it. So... Australians like their pets, um, according to the survey, was 17,000 Australians which are surveyed annually. And part of the survey, it wasn't just on pets, um, was about pets, Mark. And at least two-thirds, a summary, a bit of a summary, at least two-thirds of us in here in Australia have at least one pet. And with almost 62% of people owning at least one pet which is similar to pet ownership in the US, which is 70, 65%, but much higher than in the UK, which is 41% and lower than other reported rates, including countries which they don't mention the percentage, like Mexico and Argentina and Brazil. And dogs are the most popular, which is pretty common with most of these sort of surveys there. And then cats second. And next, most popular pets, fish, Mark, at 18%, followed by birds at 16%, and some 3.6% of pet owners have a horse, and 17% have some other type of pets. And I haven't managed to track down the, the actual um, full survey, Mark, I, I, because I'm slack at the moment, um, in Christmas mode, um, to see what percentage of reptiles and other small mammals, etc. there, and amphibians. Um, so a um, couple of further down, uh, there's some, um, I was going to say some dodgy statistics there, but um, it mentions about a couple of comments about, 
let me see, uh, it's mainly people aged between um, under 25 or between 45 to 54 who are particularly likely to be pet owners. And there's also something else that piqued my interest there. I don't know whether we can find it. Um, um, oh, here we go. Somewhat surprisingly, we did find that a pet owner, that, that pet owners are 2.6% more likely to report being in poor mental health than people who don't own a pet. And the researchers sort of dug into this and had a bit of a think about things and and they thought that perhaps people who are struggling mentally perhaps are more likely to go out and, and, and buy a pet to help them with their mental well-being, um, which which makes sense, but they didn't test that theory or, or, or um, confirm that that was a, a possibility. Um but they did, and and following on for that, it was one point eight and three point two percentage points more likely, more likely, to report poor general health and poor mental health relative to people with only a dog and not a cat. So, if you had a dog and a cat, Mark, you have, and I think that's you, isn't it? You have lower life satisfaction relative to those with a dog but no cat, which is me. So I'm more satisfied than you apparently. But if you look at the, if you look at this sort of summary there, we're talking about 0.9% um, difference there. So I think they were clutching it, clutching at stats um, down towards the bottom of this article there. So um, yeah, and somebody, I think a statistician, Mark, has had a had a good time trying to run the numbers on this one. Um, what's your take on this sort of these sort of summaries, Mark? Do you find them useful or not, or, or a bit of fluff? No, I find them useful because I think sometimes in private practice we um, we get a uh, well one dimensional view of the general public, just those people who come to see us, and sometimes I think it's uh, eye opening uh, um, to just realise how broad how broad spread, how widespread um, pet owning is and the expectations of the pet owning public. And I, I, I take with a, you know, I think these um, satisfaction with life and, and the, the, uh, um, the, the correlation, not causation between owning a pet and some features of your life, I take that with a bit of grain of salt. But, um, but yeah, I think um, it is good to know that uh, sort of it does make you feel that, um that it is important for their veterinary care. And, and I was particularly interested, Brendan, the one thing that did stick out to me in this was the, the, um, the fish that uh, um, so many people have, um, have aquariums or uh, invested a significant amount of money in the little glass encased ecosystem in their house. Um, and yet it is probably... Um, an area that we're, we're as veterinarians, we're guilty of maybe servicing less, and uh, and and uh, lay operators uh, running stores uh, often take a uh, a bigger slice of that multi million dollar market than um, than veterinarians. And I think we should be helping out with the welfare, potential welfare considerations for those fish too, Mark, because that classic little aquarium there, the fish is, has nowhere to hide um, and it's on display all the time because humans 
find it relaxing having a fish fish sitting on their kitchen bench while they're cooking or whatever and yet the fish potentially may be stressed out of its little brain because it doesn't have a decent sort of enclosure and environment in order to to satisfy its basic um emotional situations there mark um and 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 i the reason why i'm sort of smiling here and you can probably tell by my voice is i found a i found near the end of that article um what i think is a very good summary there um and this is this is a quote from it importantly being a few points lower than average on measures of well-being doesn't mean that one is miserable mark um that's my take-home message um, for, for life, I think. Um, don't, com- <laughs> don't, don't compare yourself to everybody else and think that, um, you know, the grass is greener. Um, enjoy what you have. Oh, you're getting all deep and meaningful. Enjoy what you have with who you are with um, in the moment is, is what you need to do, Mark. Well, in my-, in my moment... Um, I'm thinking about sugar gliders eating. Oh, yes, this is a big downer, isn't it? This one. Ah, oh, it is a downer, um, and it's it's um it's a an article by Dejan Stojanovic. The uh, I think Dejan uh, leads. Thought you were going to say deja vu there for a minute. <laughs> Dejan leads the difficult bird research group, and um and they that particular group out of uh, Canberra, um the Australian National University, I think, um they really ah oh, they do some excellent research, but they are guns in the social media slash mainstream media dis- dissemination of um, of information about uh, quality information about the uh, birds that are particularly birds um, that are going the wrong way. And this article talks about our swift parrots. You know I get out in the bush up here and uh, we're very lucky to find that um, swift parrots are, are regular visitors to us each winter. Um, uh, some of the local... Um, very special environment. Um, it feeds the, the, it's perfect environment for them to feed before they head back. You know, they're largely migratory birds with their breeding grounds. They fly straight over your head, Brendan, as they're going to Tasmania. Um, but in Tassie, they've been in trouble. The trees they use to nest in are being swallowed by um, the ever-expanding cancer of urban sprawl. Um, lots of the chips are just, lots of the trees are just being chipped away for um, glossy magazines, uh, pulped and ruined. Um, and the, the decline of the forest has been heavily correlated with the decline of swift parrots. And deforestation has been, you know, a very significant factor. Um Oh, God. Yes. I was just, um, I've got, couldn't preview file. There was a problem loading more pages, retrying on my computer. But I'm going to wing it because I have read the article. Um, the the One of the really interesting things that's uh, given these... Um, these birds some trouble are the the um, sugar gliders. So sugar gliders, um, sweet, gentle possums that you know look like they wouldn't hurt a butterfly. Um, generally renowned for living off the sap and uh, recently grown foliage of of our gum trees, they are notoriously bad um, uh, because they in, they hide under that sweet 
and you know gentle appearance a bloody almost carnivorous attitude when they find a good rich protein meal um they're into it um and uh and they do uh they've they're they're uh, widespread across Tasmania and they have in some places um, they've caused 100% failure of nesting swift parrots um, and it's the in, this is where the correlation comes in that uh, the the sugar gliders are not they've been introduced to Tasmania we think we think they've been introduced in uh, the early part of this cent- uh, last century and so they've been there for about 100 years um, they definitely make more damage in those areas where the forests are not mature in mature forests with uh, suitable habitat the the introduced sugar gliders really struggle to make much of a dent in the swift parrot population Um, but in locations where the forests have been damaged um, that allows this the uh, the uh, sugar gliders to really make a huge impact on those nesting swift parrots as i said maybe causing as much as 100 percent failure rate and the swift parrots when i was at university all those years ago brendan we would see swift parrots fly over sydney in in flocks of several thousand um and in the many decades i must admit it's been since then we're probably down to less than a thousand of these birds in the wild some reports are arguing that there might only be 600 of them left um, and they are going the wrong way and being eaten by sugar gliders isn't helping so understanding the interaction between the the uh, forest the degree of the age of the forest the resources the birds have um, and the invading sugar gliders that triangle between habitat bird and predator um, I think that's a uh, an important avenue for ongoing research and look you you said at the beginning that this is an article um, that was a bit of a downer I think knowing this stuff um, may well these birds will breed well if we change just a few things. If we don't chop down their nesting trees, if we limit the number of um, uh, um, sugar gliders, predators in general that can get into the nest boxes or nesting hollows, um, it is possible to turn this around. Um, I often talk about zombie species and I worry that our swift parrots in the wild are headed that way, but I'm not prepared to be down about it, Brendan. We're going to figure it out and make it better. Yes, the <laughs> so you so you're not recommending to clients to bring in their sugar glider a naturalistic diet and uh, to <laughs> feed some Swiss parrots or some eggs. I'm recommending they castrate them. Yes, <laughs> the owners or the sugar gliders. <laughs> Both. Uh, so, when are we starting up the difficult person study group, Mark? Um, Haven't we been doing that for 169 podcasts? Yes, I think we have. I think we have. Um, That was an excellent story there from um, a really good website called theconversation.com, which I know you enjoy as well, and they often have guest um, writers there, don't they, Mark, of all sorts of um, science subjects here, and it's a really good website to go to. Um, I think that's it for all our news stories mark and i think we just wanted to have a little bit of a a chin wag a bit of a chat about um 2020 and maybe our thoughts on what might be happening next year mark um what did i think you had a list 
I wasn't a list. I just had one headline thing. You had a list. Yeah. <laughs> you, you were sadly. I was a bit shocked there. I thought you had a list. <laughs> I had one headline issue that um, I, I really thought um, it might be good for us to touch on and and uh, maybe prognostic. I think that we've got a bit of prognosticating to do in this part of our discussion, um, but I wanted to quickly talk about um, the veterinary shortage, Brendan. Um, um, uh, one of the things that's happened through this year, through this coronavirus year, as uh, as many um, of our colleagues have looked to, um, you know, particularly our cohort, the people our age who might be involved in owning or managing a practice, as they've looked to lower the amount of involvement they have, it's been difficult for them because it's been difficult to find employees. I mean, this has been a bit of a paradox here in Australia because we have um, many more veterinary schools now than we did uh, only a couple of decades ago. Um, and yet, uh, while there's been some gentle growth in in the you know, number of clinics and um, and the population size of the country, and as we noted in the in your wonderful review of Hilda, um, there's uh, certainly enough pets owned by people to keep veterinarians busy. Um, there's been a decrease in the, I suppose, the uh, the available hours, the total hours that uh, that we have uh, veterinarians available to work for, and and I. This really, particularly this year, this has almost become a, a um, significant mental health issue. And um, and my understanding is it's while you and I are in Australia and we're aware of it here, um, I think it's I think this is a worldwide phenomenon. I'm I'm aware of some research in the US um, which suggests that um, that uh, that the current that there will not be enough. Uh, veterinarians to cover the total hours required by veterinarians in private practice, um, maybe for 10 years. Um, and I suspect the same sort of uh, workforce uh, data, the same principles apply here in Australia, that we're going to be um, a little bit short on veterinarians in private practice for quite a while, Brendan. So what do you think is the answer to that. And some of these business veterinary groups are suggesting sort of new paradigms as far as running the practice or, or you know, I was going to say pushing the clients through, but but multitasking and, and doing several consults at once and having more uh, veterinary technicians slash nurses um, involved in the process of the triage of the animals or these basic exam of the animals and and working around it that way. Um, what's your thoughts on that sort of thing? Well, I think it is a multi, there has to be a multifaceted approach. I don't think um, for my simple mind, I like, you know, simple answers, but I think this is one of those problems that just doesn't have a simple answer. I don't think there's one thing. I don't, you know, uh, you know that I'm involved with the Australian Veterinary Boards Council and AVBC does uh, a bit of work in terms of the Australian vet, uh, Australasian Veterinary Exam as to the standards of uh, people who might come to Australia and work as veterinarians. 
Um, and so there's been some pressure, you know, to lower those standards to let more people in. But I don't know that that's the solution, to be honest with you. Um, and I think that um, that there's a suite of things that need to be done. Um, one of them, you know, leveraging the vet veterinarians do too many things that they don't need to do in general practice. And so leveraging those um, other workers in general practice, the the technicians or nurses, um, getting them to do more and make their work more gratifying, allowing the vet to focus on the more cerebral things. That's definitely part of it, I think. Uh, but I don't think it's, there's any one simple answer at all, Brendan. I think it's going to be a whole bunch of things that we have to, to do as a profession to ensure that, um, that we solve this problem. Yes, and I don't know whether that's a, a prediction or a, or a, or a, or a optimistic or pessimistic look probably <laughs> a practical me, look outlook for 2021 isn't it let um, me let me tell I'll, tell I'll make a prediction i reckon the consequence of uh the current um workforce the nature of the current workforce will mean there'll be increasing pressure to raise the cost of uh you know of veterinary fees um that veterinary practices will need the 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 to draw practitioners into veterinary practice we will have to pay them more and to make veterinary practice a successful business to cover those uh those staff costs the wage costs um there will be pressure upward pressure on the cost of veterinary services to the public i don't know how how the public will react to that not well i expect um but um but I, that's my prediction there will be a marked upswing in the cost of veterinary services to the general public over the next year or two it sounds logical there mark so we will see what happens and we might revisit we should rewrite these predictions or thoughts down and revisit them every year instead of forgetting <laughs> every year and i was just looking through our, our website and that our our first episode was november the 1st 2017 mark so it's been three years now hasn't it over three years um that we've been doing this and we still still haven't got it right have we um so i i wanted to quiz you and and get your um put you on the spot here mark and um, although I did send it to you in the show notes, um, what what do you think the hot pet of the year is? What's hot and what's not um, for well both this year and next year, Mark? And my sort of hot pet for the year, I've seen a big upswing in the well the numbers that we've certainly seen in in our practice. As and we're talking about unusual pets here, Mark is bearded dragons. Mark, we've seen a, a lot of new clients with bearded dragons. So whether it's a an association with the the COVID thing and and not being able to access dogs and cats because they became a premium, and I'm sure they did in most places of the world, and the the, the price of of puppies and kittens absolutely went through the roof while people were working from home um, during 2020, but also the animals were sold, you know, well before the litters were even a sparkle in the in the in the dog's um, eye, Mark. So, um, bit of dragons, Mark, is my hot pet of the year for two thousand and twenty. It was one particular species that you noted were, were, were particularly popular, or or at least stood out for you. Well, I would echo um, just first of all echo you. I think we've seen many more bearded dragons, particularly um, treated as 
as the companion animals that um, uh, in the years, the previous years, we would regularly see bearded dragons as part of a reptile collection. But um, this last 12 months, there's been a genuine spike in people keeping bearded dragons, individual lizards. Yes, um, as their only pet. Yes, 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 that's right. So I I concur. But um, our, in our practice, um, the... the um, the humble lagomorph, our um, rabbit friend, um, just continues to set all sorts of records as uh, as a, a you know increasing proportion of the the pet market that um, uh, pe- and people are taking them more and more seriously. Where uh, they would have been just bunged in the hutch in the yard on the lawn and taken their chances and the water changed a few times a week. People live with their rabbits now. They they have them in the house. They um, We have clients that have whole rooms dedicated to the rabbits and um, and uh, and they are house pets. They're, they're house trained. They, they use litter trays. Um, they interact with the people. They're active at the time that people come home. They do their binkies in the early evening. And um, and we just have a greater and greater cohort of people who are um, you know highly attached, uh, very very keen to interact, um, want the very best care for their rabbits, um, and just uh, the, the number of people keeping them continues to astound me. Well, rabbits are on my list of what's not. Hot um, <laughs> for for t- no, not for this year, but for t- potentially next year. And that I'm um, I'm worried that there will be a, a huge dumping of of some of these um, species that people have kept during the um, or acquired during the the COVID that's 2020. Bit, that's yeah. a bit pessimistic. Yeah. Well. Yes. Yes, it is, isn't it? Um, and that they may end up dumped in them. We do a fair bit of work with one of the rabbit rescue organisations, and they've they have been swamped um, in the last few months um, with 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 dumped rabbits or or sometimes a neglected one as well, but often dumped ones. Um, and I'm just worried that that may really snowball um, early next year or further in the year if um, things slow down with COVID, although this this seems to be wave after wave, doesn't there, of of, um, the COVID going around the world. Um, So that's my concern with that. And that the the disposable pet mark, um, I I think that's um, a perpetual thing, unfortunately, and um, I don't don't think that will ever change. Um, See, I... I, I and this may well be a symptom of that whole problem that we were talking about before, that our window on our clients is um, is not a window on society at large. It's a selected view. But um, I, I'm upbeat about these things, Brendan. I think that, um, that by and large, there, there certainly is a cohort of our society who impulsively acquires... Uh, pets and then realizes the true cost of them and and wants to move them on through Gumtree or a rescue organization or whatever. But I, I, there's definitely an increasing proportion of the population that realizes there's no um, easy pet. There's no pet that is low maintenance. They all require attention, quite complex attention in some instances. And and I think that's um. 
you know, that's a growing, there's a groundswell of attention to the fact that you take on any animal and there's going to be costs and consequences and responsibilities. I'm more upbeat about it than you, Brendan, but that may just be because I'm not dealing with a rabbit rescue organisation every day. I thought you were going to say you're not dealing with the rabble that I am. Um, and speaking of easy pets, Mark, I think we missed an opportunity this year. Um, we should have marketed the and some of the older subscribers and listeners will remember this, the pet rock, Mark. Remember the pet rock craze? We should have brought back the pet rock during COVID um, times. Um, I think it's a big missed opportunity. Um, and for those of you who don't remember, I don't know whether it was the 90s or the early 2000s or so that it, certainly here in Australia that there was an absolute craze on you could go and purchase pet rocks and they would have a certificate of, of authenticity and breed. Um, they they even had um, advice on training your pet rock. I don't know whether you remember this, Mark. Um, and all sorts of peripherals that you could um, purchase for your pet rock, the enclosure, um, you know, things. I think there's even crazy things like, you know, shampoo for your pet rock and, and all those sorts of things. So we missed an opportunity to make a fortune, Mark. We should have um, gone out to the local quarry or, or when you're out in the bush, you could have um, um, taken a chisel and a hammer, Mark, and you should have... Um, um, brought home a, a family of um, pet rocks and we should have started marketing them again. So I'm surprised nobody started um, pushing the pet rocks, Mark, um, during this, this time of um, lack of um, live animals um, for pets. There has been a shortage, hasn't there? There's been the other yes. thing, you know, reflecting on um, pseudo pets that don't take any resources. Why didn't someone have a Tamagotchi sort of Tamagotchi 2.0 that's that was a um a, an electronic pet that people would feed and toilet and yes um, yes and and um well it, it, I remember the that I still think a lot of people play Pokemon don't they um the, on, on their phones and that and the po- and you go out and you catch the is it Pokemon no you catch the yeah when yep, you catch you're them up. um you're up to speed with the modern because I, rem- I remember one of the 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 um most hits we had for our website, um, our, our clinic website, was when I did a post about that we were pokey doctors, Pokemon doctors, and that veterinarians are the only people registered to be able to treat species other than humans, um, and we had a Pokemon hospital. And I had a picture there of me treating a, a Pokemon that I caught um, when, the, when the craze started, and we had thousands of... Um, Cross posts um, for that um, across the, across <laughs> the internet. It went mini viral um, there, Mark. Um, so you're yes, such a I, social media guru. I I admire those viral posts you make. Oh, I think that's the only one I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, so that that sort of thing. Yeah, those those virtual pets, Mark. Yes, um, they're they're something that the youngsters um, get into, don't they? And they still enjoy there. But the old Tamagotchi, and I think there be a a few of our younger listeners that, that don't even know what a Tamagotchi is. Um, and um, I'm sure it'll come back again, um, as will as will some of those toys that we used to have in our childhood, Mark. I was, I was chatting to one of my relatives the other day about um, yo-yos um, and every, every few years um, when I was younger in primary school and secondary school, 
there used to be the craze for the Coca-Cola yo-yos and there used to be a touring group. And do you remember this? Of I reckon I've got, I've got this vision of you doing Rock the Baby. Oh, that's easy. That's nothing. <laughs> walk, walk the dog um, is, is the next step up from that and that's quite easy as well. Um, yeah, so <laughs> Rock the Cradle, yeah. Um, and um, and um, I used to badger my mother um, every time they brought out the, the Coca-Cola yo-yos um, to purchase them and they were quite expensive in those days so it was something like you know four dollars which was incredibly expensive um but i managed to win through in the end and, and wear her down and um yeah these little crazes and, and I'm, I'm surprised there wasn't such a craze for some of those sorts of things those you know pets or virtual pets and that through throughout this year in 2020 and it was just remarkable the price for related to that the price for for puppies and and kittens, Mark, and and the lack of um, lack of um, um, availability of them, and they were, they were skyrocketed to thousands of dollars here in Melbourne, and I'm sure it was probably the same up your way. And this was for crossbred dogs as well, um, for for puppies and kittens, and I'm sure it was the same worldwide. And I, I, yeah, I'm 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 just a little bit wary that the same thing may happen with some of those animals that once they mature and um, once hopefully things settle down in the next year or two that that um, hopefully um, they won't be they'll be treasured pets and, and family members and that they won't be they won't be dumped onto the um, RSPCA and various welfare organizations and even worse than than uh, than the fact that they might be abandoned is the fact that um, that you know, even with our house rabbits, um, they've had people with them for you know six months uh, full time. They're gonna, you know, it's gonna jump back when as people go back, goes back go back to work, and um, and the you know the dogs and cats are gonna be developing aspects of separation anxiety. Those things are gonna happen to our rabbits as well, Brendan. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so not just rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, now, did we want to chat about anything else before we wrap things up? Because I'm, I'm sure some, some of our listeners have promised that they'll be listening to this podcast on Christmas Day, and I expect it will be after the Christmas lunch um, and or dinner. Um Traditionally in Australia, it's around lunchtime that you have the big full-on, almost the British-type lunch, isn't it still? Although the, the, there's a bit of a trend towards the seafood, but it's the, the cooked roast-type dinner with the, with the um, the, the vegetables, etc., and then the, the Christmas pudding and, and usually a few beverages as well. And, and typically what I, I don't know about you, Mark, but um, this year, um, like most years, I'm going to my my mother-in-law's place and his dear family and um, her mother, who's the Italian um, Nuna, um, cooks up a huge feast and, as usual, the, the, the Italian in her makes, makes sure that there's more than enough food for everyone and um, I'm quite content by sort of two in the afternoon. Um, we start around about 12, two or three o'clock. I'm, I'm waning a little bit after two or three serves of the Christmas pudding and I end up wandering into the lounge room there, and I, I typically sit in a chair and, and fall asleep. Um, and I remember when the girls were young, I used to lie on the floor and I'd be asleep and they'd be jumping all over me, opening their presents. And it's a nice little Christmas um, 
day. It's sort of the perfect Christmas day for me, and I'm sure that we'll have a few listeners that will be listening to us after their Christmas um, feast, and um, my ver- my voice will put them off to sleep as it usually does, Mark. So, what uh, are you up to? It's a similar day. Similar family. We've we've just going to have a breakfast in the morning with um. I'd, I'd be interested to to get your experience. Your two wonderful daughters. I've got two sons, and they the sons radiate. The sons become part of a diaspora. They move away from the home, um, and so we just have them for a short while in the morning, and then they um, have to go off and do the rest of the day at their um, the various places their their partners need them to be. Um, do you, are you, will you find? Well, fortunately, at the moment, they're still they're still coming with us on, on Christmas Day. Um, I think Jane's headed off here on Christmas Eve to her boyfriend's family and Sophie was with um, her partner's family um, yesterday and I think Boxing Day. Um, so, so yeah, we're lucky enough that, that all of us, the four of us, will be going to um, Annie's, Annie's parents tomorrow. But um, there has been... Some days um, in the last couple of years where Jane's um, had, had to nick off to both places and, and I've, I was actually chatting to somebody, um, a client at work, about the, the difficulty when the, when the kids were young. We used to try and visit both both parents on Christmas Day and, and the kids, the poor kids would be stuck in the car for an hour drive to one 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 parent's home and, and a bit of a meal there and then we'd um, unwrap a few plates presence and then drive to the next parent's home and it wasn't an ink a short distance between and and you'd end up christmas day you'd seem like you're in the car all the time the kids weren't having a great time because i just sat in the car most of the day and you get home and christmas day is finished and you're exhausted um so after a few years of that even when the kids were young we decided that we'd just alternate um between between homes there and we have a bit more christmas spirit and just in enjoy Enjoy the moment, Mark. Um, so that's our plan. But yes, the girls are with us this year, um, which is great. Um, how much longer that will be, I'm not sure. Um, you know, the bars on their windows were were, were broken um, very a few years ago, um, and um, I, I'm, there's no way I can keep them in the house anymore, Mark. Um, they've grown up to young adults, and they're fine women, thank goodness. Um, and I think that's mainly. And he's doing. Yeah. Um, I just blunder along, um, but yes. And, um, well, I, so I, we're lucky I, um, to have the family with us, and um, I'm looking forward to Christmas. And for those, you know, I have, I have um, um, had the odd Christmas where I haven't been in contact very well with, um, due to you know either location or, or other other um, other situations with with many family members and and it can be tricky you know christmas can be quite a and and the new year and any sort of festive season of any kind can be can be a a, a um quite lonely experience for some people um and um you know i feel for the people who um who haven't got that sort of um network um during this sort of period and i think it's a, a an outstandingly well made point that um that we both are exceptionally privileged in in so many ways, but not least the fact that um, we get to spend time with our family. And and I do know 
I have friends who uh, will spend this Christmas on their own for a variety of reasons, um, and and I, I'm yeah, they're more than welcome to drop in and and share some of our festive cheer um, as long as they do it in the morning because because by the time of the early afternoon comes around, I'll be like you, Brendan. I'll be pumping out the Zs on the lounge. <laughs> perfect Christmas Day, Mark. Um, that's what I think that is, perfect Christmas Day. And speaking of um, friends, um, and you usually mention um, the tribe word, um, you know, we're, we're, as we said at the start of the show, we're very, very privileged to have our listeners and our subscribers and our supporters, and we thank you all for listening and we hope that you continue to listen. We're certainly planning on on continuing into 2021, and and with a bit of luck, we may we may have another little episode out next week before um, the new year. Um, well, I'm certain we will actually, because we have a couple of recorded ones. Even if we can't um, do a, a, a semi sort of live one, we, we'll, we'll pump one out as well. Um, and we've got a couple of interesting ones there that we've recorded um, for that sort of situation. Um, and we have some, well, we have some interesting potential topics and things to chat about, haven't we, Mark, already? We've got a bit of a list of things for next year, including a veterinary sort of product that we want to, we're really excited about getting our hands on and, and, and chatting to you all about. And we wish everybody a wonderful season, whether you celebrate it or not. Um, we still wish you a wonderful time and, and a, hopefully a bit of a restful time. And um, and 2021, gee, um, hopefully things will be a bit calmer worldwide and, and we'll get back to all those cliches, the new normal and all those sorts of comments. Um, and thank you all for listening. And um, Mark, do you have anything else to say to our listeners before our, our friendly Mr. Outro Man kicks in for the second last time for 2020? As he wanders in, I just want to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas and uh, we look forward to talking to you over the next 12 months. Thanks for listening. Take care, everyone. for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time